Okay. All right. Good morning. We have a lot to tackle. Um, we're going to be talking about the sovereignty of God. And I want to tell you from the get-go, there is no obvious answer in the Bible. Um, and that might be a huge letdown because I think we're all going through some struggles and hardships and we want to know why. What is God's plans and purposes behind all these things? I mean, couldn't he have purposed something better, much easier for us? Um, so if you're listening and you're questioning God's goodness in the midst of trials, um, it's not a wrong or a bad question to be asking. So let's read the text. We'll walk through it together, and then I'll give some application. Bring this over here. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Yahweh, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are a... You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? All right, let's start in verse 12. Habakkuk begins his questioning with a statement about his relationship to God and his, and his understanding of God's decrees. Did you notice that he claims God to be his? He says, my God, my Holy One. The NIV even says, my rock. And if you glance up one verse, the Babylonians say that their might is their God. But Habakkuk says, the God of eternity is his. His allegiance is made clear, and he has sided with God. Why? Well, we see it. God is eternal, unlike the Babylonians. He goes on to state a promise, whether that's to himself or to God, he knows that God's ultimate plan is to have a people for himself. And he goes on to show that he understands God's decrees for judgment, and it's sure, and he knows why he's sending them for judgment. The Israelites have gone astray and are to be punished. And then verse 13 is where we get into the meat of Habakkuk's question. How can a God who is pure look on evil? How can a God who is... How can, I, how can God stand idly by when the evil Babylonians run rampant? Is that not unjust? Doesn't that go against his holiness? And then in verse 14 to 16, we just see Habakkuk describe how evil the Babylonians are. He uses imagery of fishermen and fish. And I think it's quite interesting to see how Habakkuk mirrors God's answer a bit here. God described the strength and evilness of the Babylonians by using animal illustrations, and you can glance at it from verse 8 to 11. He uses horses and eagles and wolves, and Habakkuk uses pathetic, lowly fish without a ruler or without a protector. The ruthlessness of the Babylonians is seen, and they use hooks to grab hold of their prey. In that time, it would be common for captors to fish a hook through their slaves and drag them back to their land. But it doesn't stop there. 
They use nets to capture. They're bringing them in by the net load. And they're using their drag nets, which would be used to catch fish near the bottom of whatever body of water they're in. No fish is left behind. No one can escape. No one can hide. And because the Babylonians have this strength and power, they just keep on doing it. Even if the Israelites were to be wiped out, there are other nations. And so they worship what gives them power and strength. They worship themselves and their own might is their God. In verse 17, there's a small but large plea. At the end of our passage, we see Habakkuk saying, will they keep doing this forever? And then our passage ends and we're left with, what? How do we make sense of this? So what do we do when we struggle to understand God's plans and purposes? Whether with evil or hardships in our lives or in a loved one's life, how do we make sense of it? And how do we know God is still good when he uses such hard means? Before we look at what Habakkuk does, because he has the same questions that we do, I want to make a few points. God is not the author of evil. The Bible makes clear of this. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God and his good commands, and they chose to believe the devil's words over God's, and this brought in sin and death. Each man and woman are now born with sin and evil desires within their own hearts. And we just went through the book of Ephesians and we saw in chapter two of that book that we were all dead in our trespasses. The second point is that man is held accountable for their own sins and simply cannot blame Adam and Eve or God. God does not cause people to sin. And third, God's sovereignty isn't the first time it's on trial here. In a larger book called Job, it's tackled there. And if you want, you can read it, you can understand what God is doing a little bit more clear, um, but we know that we're not in a place to judge God's rule. So let's look at what Habakkuk does in light of this hard reality. He is utterly perplexed at God's plans to use the Babylonians for his purposes. One commentator described it as, the cure is worse than the disease. So Habakkuk begins his appeal by claiming God as his. By doing this, he's showing that he's placing his faith in the one who is eternal who is in control even over the wickedness in man. Evilness and hardships are ever present in this world, but it's not out of the control and confines of God's hands, and we can take great comfort in that. Because though the Bible doesn't explicitly say why God uses and allows these things to happen, it does explicitly tell us who God is, and that he can be trusted because he is just, he is loving, he is kind, he is gentle, tender-hearted and merciful, and he is good. God isn't like our young children who you want to trust will do the right thing when you ask them to and can't help but check in on them. If my three-year-old says he's going to go wash his hands, my ears perk up. I don't trust he's only going to wash his hands. I'm listening carefully. If there's a delay, he's emptying half the bottle of soap. If the tap is on for too long, he's already emptied the bottle of soap and making bubbles. We can fully trust God and take him at his word. If you're struggling with why God is using hard trials, take comfort in knowing that God is in control and hasn't abandoned you when you claim him as yours. And a way to do that is to know his character and trust him. And though this isn't explicitly in our text, I want to add when we claim him as ours, he also claims us as his. We belong to him. 
He holds us fast through the trials. He becomes our rock in the midst of the storm and when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We also see Habakkuk recalling a promise made by God. Those who love God will not die. They will reign with God for all eternity. And when you're going through trials, recall God's promises to yourself and even pray them back to God. Reminding ourselves of God's promises keeps our gaze on the long view and not just on the here and now. Next, Habakkuk moves on to judgment. It will come. God judges the sin of Israel by using the Babylonians. And we'll see later, he will judge the sins of the, Bab of the Babylonians. And it's important to know that he will judge the sins of those who do not put their faith in him. Alyssa will go more into detail, but God claims that the righteous will live by faith. The people who are good enough are the people who trust in God. And as the Bible goes on, who trust in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But all those who do not believe will face judgment. Even if you're not as bad as the Babylonians, or as bad as your government, or as bad as your boss, or as bad as your neighbor. The Bible says that every single person born is born with a heart full of evil desires. Though we may not know why God uses evil for his greater plans, we do know he will judge it at the return of Christ, where he will also redeem those who have put, it, their, put their faith in him. I will say Habakkuk got one thing wrong. God is not standing idly by, but he does everything in his own imperfect time, and he will not let evil continue forever. Judgment is coming, and Habakkuk approaches God humbly, knowing who he is and what he has promised and what, is going, and what he is going to do. He approaches him in faith. Habakkuk then explodes his question onto God, and I love it. I love that this is in scripture. God is not afraid of our questions, even if it's regarding him, and he's not, and our emotions are not too big for him either. Though we don't understand why God uses evil and hardships, we know he uses it for our good and his glory. In our passage in Habakkuk, it says God allows the wicked to swallow up the man more righteous than he. Now, we know the Israelites are being judged for their sin, but they were the covenant people of God, so they kind of have that going for them. And there were people like Habakkuk who trusted God. But let's turn to Acts 2 real quick. Verse 22, I think. Yes. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You can put it back. The greatest act of evil in history, and there have been many, but the greatest act of evil was the crucifixion of the Son of God. Jesus was way more righteous than Israel. He, God had used this event that was evil to fulfill his plans to redeem sinners to himself. And it's through this that we can trust the Lord and know that he has our best interests at heart. So when you're going through trials and struggling with 
wanting to know why God is allowing these things. Humbly approach God. Claim him as yours and remind yourself of who he is and what he has promised to do. And then go to God with your question, with your heartache, and know that God is listening. The next passage shows Habakkuk is waiting for the Lord to answer. We wait on a God who is sovereign, who is in control, and who keeps his promises, and who is ultimately perfectly good. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, you are ours. You are a good father and our shepherd, and we just thank you that you are in control. Evil is not around, running loose, but it is, um, yeah, it's in your control, Lord. It is being orchestrated and guided by your hands, and we know that we can fully trust you because of what your word has said. And so we pray that you would be just a constant rock in our lives, Lord, as we walk through trials, knowing that they are for our good. We pray that they would bring us closer to you and deepen our faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know how to turn it off, Chantal. <laughs>